Welcome to Mission View Church. My name is Matt. I'm the lead pastor here. If this is your first time, so glad you joined us for worship today. What a great time to join us uh, for your first time. We're having baptisms today. The baptismal is up here, as you see, but really excited about the, uh, the 10 people being baptized and so glad that you're here for that too. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We have a, a huge, heavy text today. Um, it's about the transfiguration. Okay, big Bible word. Ready? Can you say that with me? Transfiguration. Yes, the transfiguration. Um, really crazy thing that happens in Scripture. This supernatural, miraculous thing that Jesus does. He reveals his divinity. He reveals this, this God-man in the flesh truly God and truly man to three of his disciples, just a powerful, powerful thing that is revealed to them and to us today. So um, we're going to dive into that. But before we do, let's just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts to his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather this morning. Lord, we want to give you this time. And as we open your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would bring it to life in our hearts and in our minds. God, that we would walk out of here different than we walked in because we have met with our Creator. And you did what only you can do in our hearts. God, you changed us. That you would change our hearts, God. That's what the truth of your word and the power of your spirit does. So we trust that. We ask you to come in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here in Mark 9, I'm going to start us off in verse 2. It says this, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. They were terrified. Let's just stop there. And I'm going to give you the first fill-in. As you came in, you should receive a program, and there's some notes you can follow along in there. The first fill-in is this. Jesus is God's Son, and this is terrifying. This is terrifying. Now, before we jump into this, let's just kind of try and, and wrap our minds around what's happening here in this scene. And that this isn't some fable. This isn't some story. This is an actual account that happened in the life of Jesus. Jesus is transfigured, or in the Greek, morphos, where we get our word metamorphosis, like a, a cocoon going into this butterfly, this huge transfiguration of Jesus revealing the glory of God right before Peter, James, and John. Can we just try and wrap our minds around this miraculous supernatural happening? I mean, it's really hard for us to think that here he is elevated above the earth and his, he just becomes light they can't even see his face. He's this radiant white and his clothes become this radiant white like nobody could even bleach them. It was this glowing light that was the glory of God revealed before them. And they were terrified, terrified. This Greek word terrified, ekphobos, means affrighted, very frightened, very much afraid, in dread. 
They were in dread, sore afraid, exceedingly fearful. You could say they were undone with fear. The glory, majesty, and power of the living God is not something we take lightly. It is not something we take lightly. We all want to know God more. You're here on Sunday morning at church because you've come because you want to know about Jesus. You want to know about God. Or maybe you come because you want to know God more. And we all want to know God more. We want to grow in relationship with him. But we need to consider what we're asking for here. What does it mean to want to know God more? This Greek word, ekphobos, or terrified, is found in another place in the New Testament, in Hebrews, where the writer of Hebrews references the time that Moses looked upon the glory of God. And, he, and, and Moses wanted to see God, but God tells him, says, you, you, you really can't see me in all my glory. You would just go into nothingness. He goes, but I'll tell you what, here, hide over here in between these rocks, and, and I will walk past, and I will let you look at, glance at, just the back parts of who I am. Just the very back parts. And Moses is like, okay, okay, I'll settle for that. So he goes off in between these rocks, and, and God, in all of his glory, comes down and walks by. And, and as Moses glances and just barely gets this view of the back parts of God in all of his glory, Moses himself begins to glow. And reflect the glory of God just from seeing his back parts. And it says that Moses was terrified. He was petrified. Without words, he could not move. Who is this God that we want to know? Who is this creator, sustainer, omniscient, omnipotent God that we want to be in relationship with and truly know. There should be a part of us as we seek out the Lord that recognizes the gravity of our situation. That we are finite, trying to wrap our minds around the infinite. We are creation looking and longing for the love of the creator. Have we lost our wonder? Have we lost the, the grasp of the mystery and the power and the glory of God? When I was a kid, I read um, C.S. Lewis's books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, that whole series. It's just a, it's just a wonderful series. And I I can never get over this little part of the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where uh, the kids are getting ready to meet Aslan. And if you haven't read the books, Aslan is like this, he's supposed to be God in Narnia, which is this fabled land. But they're getting ready to meet Aslan. And this is kind of how C.S. Lewis writes around this. One of the kids, Lucy, asks, is, is he a man? Ask Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is the king of beasts? Aslan is a lion. 
the lion, the great lion. Oh, Susan said, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and no mistake, said Mrs. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. Then he isn't safe, asked Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver is telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I just love that picture. Have we lost our sense of awe and wonder? If we don't shake in our boots, we're just silly. So oftentimes, our studies of God bring us to academic pride. We lock ideas, ideologies, theologies, doctrines, and thought-provoking quips in our minds and fit God into our finite box of understanding. It's easier that way, isn't it? We grab words like trinity, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, and then we water down what omnipotent or sovereign really means. We want a God that's safe that we can understand, that we can wrap our minds around. We want a God that will do things our way, see things our way, and curb himself and melt himself to my will. But that's not how God works. That's not who God is. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Rather, he says, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It is so important for us to remember our place and recognize God's place. Jesus reveals his glory to Peter, James, and John at the transfiguration, and he has revealed it to you and me. He's revealed it through these accounts that we've been reading all through the life of Jesus here in the book of Mark. He reveals it all through Genesis, through the book of Revelation, the glory of God and the person of Jesus Christ, the glory of God coming again one day for his church, the glory of God that defeated sin and death for you and me, the glory of God that invites everyone who would come and submit and give their lives to Christ to come into relationship with him, the glory of God and the grace of God and the person of Jesus Christ for me and you. This is the God that we serve. He's done it all. He's completed it all. And he said, it is finished on the cross. The glory of God. That we would shake in our boots because the creator of the universe calls us into relationship with him. That's that's an amen. He's calling you. Maybe you don't know him. He's calling you. Maybe you do know him. He's calling you deeper, deeper, and closer and closer. But there's so much more in that transfiguration, this 
metamorphosis that's seen in Jesus, the glory of God. In verse 7, it goes on and says, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. Can you imagine that? They're just in an instant, they're gone. All of this, a cloud and the glory of God, this bright shining light, this blinding light, and then boom, it's all gone. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. Interesting note here. As we studied through Mark in the first eight chapters, every time Jesus would do something supernatural, something miraculous, he would charge the people he's either healed or charge the people he's fed or charge his disciples to never tell anyone. Not never, but don't go and tell anyone. Don't go and tell anyone. This is the last time he says that. From here on out, I'm just going to let you know, Jesus is all, but you go tell everyone. From here on out, after the transfiguration, it's go tell everyone. But this, what I kind of want us to wrap our minds around this second part is that Jesus is God's son and this is faith building. Now it's terrifying, but it should be faith building as well. And that's the second fill. And they didn't understand that Jesus was predicting his coming death and resurrection. But we know we have the story. We have the full story in God's word and in the gospels. We know that Jesus defeats death and sin for us. We know that he rises again on the third day. We know that he ascends into heaven and now sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. We don't have to ponder or question. We can be reassured and walk in faith knowing God does what he says he will do and God never fails. Now get this. When Jesus said all this, this when he said talked about in prophesied his own resurrection. This wasn't just some lucky guess. Jesus was fulfilling God's plan that had been set in place before time began. He was living out prophecies given thousands of years before. It was at this moment in time, eyes were opened to see into eternity. Jesus in his glorified form, or at least some version of it, The disciples had been on a journey of discovery. You think about these guys, you tax collectors and fishermen and just normal, average Joes where this this Messiah, this God-man invites them into this journey and this life and this following of the teacher, the rabbi, they would call him. They were on a journey of discovery. They weren't just being taught this earthly wisdom. This wasn't just some rabbi or teacher. He wasn't just some good man or some prophet. He was and is the Son of God. And they're walking with him, talking with him, watching him eat and wipe his face and bathe in the mornings and go through life and do all the things that just normal average people do. But then he would speak and say something that was world-changing, not just life-changing, world-changing. He would raise people from the dead, heal lepers, and deaf would hear, and the mute would speak. And they witnessed all of this. They were on this massive journey of discovery. These things 
were building up faith in their hearts and in their lives. They went, this is crazy. This is one of the most crazy things about the disciples, the apostles. They went from denying even knowing Jesus, Peter, one of the guys that was there in the transfiguration we just read, denied who Jesus was. Peter goes from denying even knowing Jesus to becoming a martyr for Jesus and the cause of Christ. Let's just wrap our minds around that one for just a second, right? You don't go from like, oh, no, 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 I don't know him. Mm -mm. Nope. You've been walking with him for three years. No, oh, no, 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 no. That guy there, the guy you're getting ready to crucify? No, 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 I don't know him. Mm -mm. Wait, wait, you mean Jesus of the Nazareth? Oh, no, no, no. I thought you meant Jesus of like, you know, Capernaum. No, don't know him. Then the rooster crowed. That's the guy, when he was martyred, they were going to crucify him. And he says, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. Hang me upside down. You don't go from denying knowing the guy to being a martyr unless you've, you've discovered something. And Peter discovered something. Jesus is God and man, when we get that, our lives are changed forever. As the disciples discovered these things, faith was built up in them. They went from denying even knowing Jesus, becoming martyrs for the cause of Christ. And we too are on a journey of discovery. And as we discover more and more about who Jesus is, we are discovering the true nature of Jesus, the Messiah, God, the Holy Spirit, and God, the Father. Discovery of the love and the heart of God. Discovery of the true cost of our sin. It is in this journey of discovery that God does some amazing work in our hearts and in our lives that build up our faith and change us forever. And as we're talking about building up faith, what is faith? Anybody got a good definition for faith? Well, the Bible does. Let's see. It's Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's our biblical definition of faith. Faith is an assurance and a conviction of intangible, unseen things. So how do we come by this faith? Where do we get it? This discovery, this, this thing that the apostles just got. Well, in Scripture, it says this in Romans 10, 16 and 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If you want to build your faith, go to God's word. Read it. Share it with others. Talk about it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Hear it preached. Go and listen to it preached. And then preach it to yourself some more. Meditate on it day and night. Let it read you. Don't just read it. Let it read you. And then trust that God will do what he says he will do. That it will build faith in your heart towards him. Sometimes I think we get to a point in our, our Bible study. I, don't, I have. I don't know if you have, but 
like you read the Bible every day or you set aside this time and this you call it a quiet time. And, you know, maybe it's early in the morning, maybe it's late at night, maybe it's in the middle of the day, wherever it may be. But you have this like locked in time and, you know, you've got this, you know, half an hour or an hour or 15 minutes, whatever you've set aside. And you go and you do that every day and it just becomes this like ritualistic thing. Oh, I'm going to do my Bible time. Go do my Bible time. I'm going to go do my Bible time, you know, read, read through the the scripture, I guess I'm in the book of John or whatever. It just becomes this practice thing. Not, don't get me wrong. Let's read the Bible. Let's do that thing. But there's, there's something different about this book than any other book. This is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, it says that, that this word actually cuts down to the very marrow of our bones, of who we are. It says that this is life. And that by some miraculous supernatural work that as we read it, God, the Holy Spirit illuminates it in our hearts and in our minds and it changes us. Let's, let's not take that ritualistic just idea of going to the scriptures just to read the Bible, but take it for what it is. Not only have we lost our sense of awe and wonder of who God is, but sometimes I think we lose the awe and wonder of his word and the power that it is. Yeah, here's something I just was going to challenge you to practice this week. In your time of reading God's word, instead of just, you know, just going and rushing through it or getting it done, spend 15 minutes in prayer before you go to the word. And be specific in your prayer and say things like this. God, I just pray that as I read your word today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that it would come to life in my life, in my heart, in my mind. God, change me with your word today. That I would be different because I've spent time with you in your word. And just take that time, 15 minutes of confessing that we need to know him more, confessing that his word can change us and asking and inviting him to come and break down these things and these ideas that probably shouldn't be there for us, that his word can do that. And then read his word on purpose. This is an undeniable, supernatural, miraculous revelation every day. We have that available to us every day. God, the Holy Spirit, bringing his word to life in our lives, reading his word on purpose. All right, the last thing, the third filling in your notes, Jesus is God's son and he is coming again. That's really good news, isn't it? Man, Jesus is coming again. We forget that so oftentimes. We go through life and, and it's, life is busy. There's all these things going on and, and most of us have a ton of responsibilities and things that we have to take care of. And we forget Jesus could come back at any moment, like right now. <sighs> I don't know, you know, you have to try, right? It's like any moment, right? Like, please, Lord, today, let it be today, right? 
oh man, let's, let's, but that's, we forget that sometimes. And so as I was reading through this text, I didn't want us to overlook the prophetic implications that are here because what happens is, as we were going to read through this, there's the time that the, the disciples are watching this and seeing this and they're thinking this is the second coming. They're like, he's transfigured. This is it. Woo! Let's set up shop. And, and Peter's going to be like, hey, man, let's build some tents. We can set you up right here. That's a big deal. Like, it wasn't like we think a tent, oh, they're going to camp out there. No, no, no. A tent in the Bible times, as you look back, um, the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, David's um, tabernacle was a tent. You know, so, so Peter's terrified, and he's thinking like, hey, man, let's build some tents. This is it. There's going to be the Holy of Holies in the, the New Testament time. Jesus is coming power. Here it is. Woohoo! So there's this, this prophetic implication going on here. It's awesome for me to think that like Peter, James, and John are like, this is it, man. This is the second coming, but it wasn't. So then you're like, bummer. But um, for us, we're living, you know, closer to that second coming. Look in verse 11. It says this. And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And here the disciples are referring to scripture about the end times, the prophecy of Elijah coming before Jesus' second coming. And it's talked about in Malachi, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children, of the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. So they're confused. They're thinking, oh, man, this is it. What's happening? Is this Elijah? Was this it? Is this what was talked about? And Jesus responds to try and bring clarity and does bring clarity to their confusion. He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. He's talking, here's another prophecy we have in Revelation 11. This is about the two witnesses that are going to come and witness before Jesus' second coming. And it says this in Revelation 11. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. You see, the disciples thought as soon as they saw Moses and Elijah that it was it, man. This is the great and awesome day of the Lord, but it wasn't that day. This was a foreshadowing event that was to assure them that Jesus is the Messiah. But I love that they went there, right? Because we're all so excited. Man, we can't wait till Jesus comes again. But here's another implication of what's kind of happening behind the scenes as we peel back the layers of this transfiguration. Another implication of Moses and Elijah being at the transfiguration. See, Moses, in the role of Israel's deliverer, lawgiver, represented the law. Now, the law is really important in Christianity. The law is really important in Judaism because the law was God's covenant, God's promise that he made with the um, Israelites. He said, you're go- I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. I'm going to give you this law. This will be our, my promise to you, the covenant and the promise that we have made together. And Moses being there represented this covenant, this law. Now, Elijah being there is really important because Elijah was the defender of Yahweh worship and the future restorer of all things. And he represented the prophets. In the Old Testament, we have the law and the prophets. And then Jesus 
comes. And he gives us a new and better covenant, a new and better promise. It's a promise of grace. And their presence also attested to Jesus' role as the Messiah. See, the covenant God had made with his people through the law and his voice that came through the prophets to his people was now being replaced with a new and better covenant. The law has been fulfilled for all of us through Jesus and his voice now would be clear to all of us who believe in him because his very spirit lives inside of us. Man, what a picture this is. And he goes on, In Mark 9, he says, And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Jesus is explaining to Peter, James, and John that he would still have to suffer. We have the transfiguration glory of God revealed in Jesus. See him levitating, glowing the glory of God and be terrified and have your faith built. But remember that God man still would come down, stop glowing and he would be levitated one more time on a tree for you and me. His work wasn't done, but his divinity never left him. And you know what that means? He could have said no at any moment. Could have snapped his fingers and said, hey, let's not use a flood this time, let's use fire. But he didn't. He chose to allow his own creation to murder him on the cross so that you and I could come here today and celebrate with our brothers and sisters in Christ who will be baptized this morning. The transfiguration reveals the glory, the majesty, and the power of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ for me and you. And that is something to celebrate. Amen? Yes. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this account in the life of Christ that unbelievably, just miraculously transfigured before Peter, James, and John. This is God. This is Jesus, the Messiah. The one who loved us so much and came and made a way for us to be in right relationship with our Creator again. God, I just pray for those who are here that don't know you. God, that you would reveal yourself to them like only you can do, that you would change their hearts for your glory and your kingdom and their good. Reveal to them you are God. And for those of us who know you, God, we want to know you more. This is a journey of discovery. This is a journey of coming to know you more and more. And we can never search out the depths, the breadth, the the amazing complexity of your grace and mercy of who you are, God. So come, come and reveal yourself to us more and more as we long to know you. God, we thank you for all that you've given us. 
And Lord, we pray right now for those being baptized this morning who are taking this step, this public proclamation of following you. God, thank you that we can come and celebrate this together. Come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen.